Kings chapter 6. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And the servant, and one said, Be content, I pray, and go with thy servants. And Elisha answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. And as one was felling a beam, or cutting down a piece of wood, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. I want to preach to you today a message of reality. And I'm just going to title it simply, Borrowed. As we pray, let's remember these needs that I just mentioned, and let's pray over the remainder of this service. Father, today we love you. And we're so thankful to have the privilege and opportunity to come to you today to call on you in times of need. We pray today for the needs that we've just mentioned. We pray for Melissa and Jeremiah, for Alton. We prayed for Greg and his family. We pray, God, that you would wrap your arms around these people. These are desperate times for these folks, and you do great in desperate times. I pray that you would minister, that you would comfort, that you would heal, that the will of God would be done. We pray in Jesus' name that the Spirit of the Lord would have His way in this service, that you would anoint the Word of God, which it already is. But I pray that it would hit the mark today, that it would do what you will it to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Give your neighbor a fist bump and tell him I'm going to help the preacher. God bless you. You may be seated. Those of you joining us on live stream today, welcome. We're so glad to have you with us and all of our guests here today. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. The song that I referenced a few moments ago, and there's folks here today that will remember this. In my home church, there was a man that was out of that church. He had, he had moved away, and but periodically, a couple of times a year, he had come through, and uh, he would show up on Sunday. And every time he came, uh, he was called on to sing. He would sing a solo he had just kind of a very mellow, just a real soothing voice was the opinion of most. His name was James Downs, and uh, some of you will know him, will remember him. And uh, I remember as a child when he was called on to sing, there was one of two songs that he would sing. He would sing, He Touched Me, Oh, He Touched Me, and Oh, The Joy That Flood My Soul. He would sing that song, or he would sing a song titled, Remind Me. And that is the song that I searched for this past week that took me on the YouTube tangent that I referenced. I'll never forget the words to that song. Even as a child, I memorized them. I'm not going to read all of it, but I would share with you the part that's applicable to what I want to talk to you about today. The song says, The things that I love, that I hold dear to my heart, they're borrowed, they're borrowed and not mine at all. Jesus, only let me use them to brighten my life. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Just remember I'm human, and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Again, today, I want to preach to you simply borrowed. This is a message 
of reality. And I've come to pour my heart out to you today. Our text tells of a man that was cutting down a tree. And while he was engaged in this activity, the axe head came off the axe and fell into the water. The man said, essentially, this is a tragedy. I don't know what I'm going to do about it because this axe was borrowed. It saddened him. And I would say today that his mind probably ran the gamut of scenarios. He had to face the owner of that axe, who was no doubt a close friend. And the man was concerned that because I've lost the axe head that that belongs to this other man, would it be the loss of a friendship? Would the friendship continue but tainted by this flaw? Would there be an assault on the borrower's responsibility? Nonetheless, it was borrowed. Everybody say borrowed. I want to preach to you today that, in a sense, nothing that we have is ours. It's all borrowed. Everything that we possess, we say we own it. But literally, it belongs to someone else. We only possess it for a time. The Old Testament teaches that principle. God made it clear that He distinguished between ownership and possession. God retains ownership of all things, but only allows us to possess the things that He chooses to give us and to impart to our lives. So God is the owner and we are the possessors. We need to credit the source of our life. Malachi goes on to say, God said in Malachi, that all souls are mine, saith the Lord. The Bible said that the soul that departs from the body of the human always returns back to God from whence it came. So you may possess your soul today, but you do not own it. It belongs to someone else. I will say to you today that our parents are borrowed. I've learned that the hard way. Both of my parents are deceased, and I had no control. I had absolutely no control, no matter how hard I prayed. I had no control over how long they would occupy this planet. Our parents are borrowed. Our siblings are borrowed. Our children are borrowed. If you don't believe that, ask someone who's had to say goodbye to a child or to a grandchild, and there are several here today that have. So all that we have, All that makes our life what it is, is borrowed. Listen to pastor today, I did not come to be morbid, but I've come to preach to you a message of reality. That everything that we have can be taken away in a moment's notice at any given time. And everybody say amen. The infant that came into the world today. I'd like to see the back screen if y'all don't mind. The infant that came into the world today, the little child in the home, the Ellie Rue that we just dedicated, 
the youth at school or college, the man in the midst of his years. We are all living on borrowed time. The story is told of the Russian poet Samuel Marshak that when he was first in London before 1914, he did not speak English very well at all. He went up to a man in the street and asked, Please, what is time? The man looked surprised and replied, That's a philosophical question. Why are you asking me? Centuries ago, St. Augustine pondered over the same question in his confessions. Qui asked Tempus, What is time? Then he wrote, If no one asks me the question, I know. But if I must explain to someone who asks me, then I do not know. Regardless of our conception of time, our perception of it is usually negative. Time tends to be unpopular. It exercises a tyranny over our lives. From early childhood, the clock controls our lives. It's time to go to bed. It's time to get up. It's time to take your bath. It's time to do your schoolwork as we move on through life. It becomes it's time to go to work. It's time to mow the lawn. It's time to go to the dentist. It's time to catch a plane. And it's time to retire. Even then, time imprisons us by hanging heavy through boredom and slow-moving days. Time drags, as we say. People relate to time in many different ways. Referees call time. Prisoners serve time. Musicians mark time. Historians record time. Loafers kill time. Statisticians keep time. No matter how people relate to time, the fact remains that all of us are given the exact same amount of time. There are only 124 hours in a day. Only 168 hours in a week. Use them. And use them properly. Someone said that humanity is a highly temporary episode on a petty planet. Yes, on this earth, life has two duration. It's just as one lightning swift swing of the pendulum of the clock of time. It's a glimpse of a passing ship. It's just as a stop of the postman at your door. It's just like a snowflake on a river. It's here for a moment, seen and then gone forever. All of us agree there's never enough time to do all the things that we want to do. Bernard Berenson once said, I wish I could stand on a busy street corner with my hat in my hand and beg people to throw me all of their wasted and unused hours. Duration is notoriously difficult to judge. Sometimes whole hours streak past out of our grasp. Then again, sometimes minutes crawl by so slowly that each passing second announces its presence. Amid the flux of such subjective assessments, we offer a few educated estimates here this morning. According to Harper's Magazine, it takes one to, two, one to three minutes to have a dream. Forty-five seconds for blood to circulate around the body. Two and a half hours to get in an hour's playing time in pro football, four to six months to make a Swiss cheese, a year to build a piano, 36 hours to read the federal budget, 36 hours to read the federal budget, and more than 130 days to grow an artichoke. During duration of life for you, humanity, the Bible said, 
is three score and ten or seventy years. Philip Brooks said, and listen to Pastor this morning, my dear friends, you who are letting miserable misunderstandings run on from year to year, you who are keeping wretched quarrels alive because you cannot quite make up your mind that now is the day to sacrifice your pride and kill them, you who are passing men sullenly upon the street, not speaking to them out of some silly spite, and yet knowing that it would fill you with shame and remorse if you heard that one of these men were dead tomorrow. You who are letting your neighbor starve till you hear that he is dying of starvation, or letting your friend's heartache for a word of appreciation or sympathy, which you mean to give him someday. If you could know and see and feel all of a sudden that the time is short, how it would break that spell, how you would go instantly and do the thing which you might never have another chance to do. For you and I here today, time is borrowed. But not only is time borrowed, but we hear men talk about my house, my business, my land, and my possessions. How true it is that all of these things are not our own. They are loaned to us for a season. One whole book of the Bible, the book of Job, is of a nature to teach us that. Listen carefully this morning. When the sun rose one morning upon Job, he was the richest and greatest of all men of the east, the Bible said. His flocks and herds covered the plains and whited the hillsides. But when the sun set that night, Job was a pauper. The Bible said he shaved his head and he rent his mantle. And he fell down on the ground and worshipped. And he worshipped, saying, Naked came out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord gave. And the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Not all have faith to meet adversity as Job met it and to bless the Lord in all things. But none can deny the truth of what Job said, a truth that applies to all of us. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Let me remind you of the old Bible story a king named Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, modern-day Iraq, built a great city on the banks of the Euphrates River some 24, uh, 24 centuries ago. He built the city in the same general neighborhood where ages before men had assembled to build a tower so that the top of it would reach to heaven. Where they failed, it seems that Nebuchadnezzar thought that he had succeeded. According to the Greek historian Herodotus, the city was built in the form of a square 14 miles long on each side. It had two protecting walls, one of them 373 feet high and 90 feet wide. A city, the city had 25 gates of burnished brass, and great highways ran through the city, entering and leaving at these 25 gates. 
on an artificial hill or mountain 400 feet high were the famous hanging gardens or terraces which Nebuchadnezzar had built so that in the otherwise flat plains of Babylon his wife might not be homesick for her native hills and mountains of Media. The city was splendid with palaces and temples, beautiful with gardens abounding in tunnels and bridges and canals and adorned with all the spoils of conquered kingdoms. Let no one imagine that ours is the only age of great buildings or great structures. Babylon was one of the greatest capitals the world had ever seen up into that time in certain respects. It had never seen its equal. You can see that proud monarch walking at the evening along the wall of Babylon, looking down upon all of its splendors as they were illuminated by the light of the setting sun. And he said to them and to himself, as Daniel tells us in the book of Daniel, is not this great Babylon that I have built for my house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. And while the word was coming out of the king's mouth, a voice came down out of heaven and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom is departed from thee. And that very day, Nebuchadnezzar was pulled from his throne, driven into the wilderness, where his body, the Bible said, was wet with the dew of heaven. And he did eat grass as the ox until he learned that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives to whomsoever he will. I want to stop in saying passing. This is a reality check for every one of us. We don't have today wrapped up in our hand. And Neither do we have the promise of tomorrow. One phone call or one headline or one news broadcast could turn our lives on its ear. There's only one steadfast. There's only one constant. And it's God and the Word of God. And it is imperative that we put our faith in Him. Somebody clap your hands and shout yes. Jesus told us of another human, another man. Jesus called him the rich fool because he talked real similar to that of Nebuchadnezzar. His ground brought forth so plentifully that the only problem he had, the only trouble in his life was how to bestow his goods and to make use of all of his income. So this is what he said. And I want you to notice his use of the possessive first-person pronoun. The rich fool, according to Jesus, said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all of my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But as quickly as God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, when he boasted of his kingdom and possessions, God spoke to this man, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? If we could get all men and women, no, not all men and women, but Christian men and women, to realize that all of their earthly possessions are loaned to them of God. They're borrowed, they're borrowed. And that one day the loan will be required and recalled. No minister would ever have to stand up and plead for the support of the church. It was a great Muslim conqueror, Saladin, who fought with 
Richard the Lionhearted about the walls of Acre, whose tomb you can see in Damascus, left directions that he should be buried with his two hands extending out of his coffin so that those empty hands might teach men that they brought nothing into the world and they can certainly take nothing out of it with them. Time is borrowed. Possessions are borrowed. But this is what I've really come to preach to you today. William James was a notable philosopher. He was a notable philosopher, respected mind in the field of psychology. And he liked to tell this story about himself. One day in his home, He heard the sound of running water onto the floor upstairs. He went up to discover that his son had left the water on in the sink and it was running onto the floor. His son, seeing his father standing in the doorway, said, Dad, this is no time to philosophize. Grab a mop. After coming through the great flood last year, can anybody relate to that? Not a time to put the the storm under the microscope. It's time to get a mop and a bucket of water, even though that didn't help too much either. There's a parallel to that story in one of the Gospels. Someone asked Jesus in Luke chapter 13, Lord, will those who are saved be few? It's a nice bar stool problem, but Jesus, as he always did, cut through the irrelevancy to the person's real need, saying, in effect, forget about how many will be saved. What about you? want everybody to hear me this morning. I'm not here to go through the motions of Sunday morning church. It doesn't matter how many's going to be saved. What's important is if one of them is you. That's what's important. When it all goes down to it, that's what's important. He went on to illustrate by talking about a door. Jesus went on to illustrate to these people that asked that question, he started talking about a door. And he said, there's going to come a time when that door will be shut and those left standing outside the door will be outside forever lost and eternally damned. Just make sure that you're not one of them. When I get onto this subject, I can promise you that I would to God I was three times my size and my voice was ten times louder. We can't hear it hard enough, straight enough. We can't hear it harsh enough, nice enough. However you want to say it. The most important priority of your life today is to be right with God. There is not a greater. Jesus' point was act now. We'll talk about the details later. But if you're not right with God... If you can't feel deep down on the inside of you this morning, Jesus is saying that if you're not right with me, get right with me right now. We'll talk about the details later. I realize tonight that I'm talking to the vast majority of the people in this room 
who've repented and be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and so on. But we're toting things around on the inside of us you know full good and well has the potential of keeping you out of heaven. It's time to come clean in our relationship with God and with others and say, I want to be right with God more than I want to cling to a grudge, more than I want to be bitter, more than I want to hate, more than I want to be prejudiced, more than I want to be biased, more than I want to be narrow-minded. I want to be saved. As the old song said years ago, above all else, I must be saved. I must be saved. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. So don't philosophize. Grab a mop. Do something today while there is opportunity. Believe in God's words and act upon them. Once the door closes, it's closed. I'll never forget several years ago, Sister Murph and I were flying to Orlando for a little R&R. And... uh, as Murphy Law dictates, anytime I get around an airport or a computer printer, those are my two big Murphy Law curses. I cannot get on an airplane and fly anywhere without some trouble coming up somewhere. The story is long, and I'll not bore you with the details. But we were setting, flying to Orlando, and our illustrious airlines flew us to Houston. We were able to fly to Hawaii years ago for one of our wedding anniversaries, and the same illustrious airline flew us to Atlanta first. Atlanta's that way, and Hawaii goes all the way back that way. We went to Orlando, which is over here, and we went to Houston, and then back over here. I don't know who plans that stuff, but I'd love to sit down with them five minutes with a world map. (laughs) Anyway, we were sitting in the Houston airport waiting for our flight, and I went and bought us a hamburger, and we were splitting it. And I noticed in the waiting area just next to us, it was full of people. The plane landed, the people got off the plane, then they started boarding, the whole plane boarded, and they had just closed that door. And if you've ever flown in an airplane before, when they close that door where you board your plane, it's like eternity. I felt so bad. Here comes this fellow with a backpack, and he's running down the corridor of that terminal as fast as he could go. He missed that door shutting by less than 60 seconds. He starts pounding on it with his, just his flat palm of his hand. Hey, I'm here. He was yelling as loud as he could, causing a disturbance. And yay, hey, I'm here. Somebody come open the door. Hey, I made it. I made it. He could see the plane sitting right there. I could feel the man's plight. The plane is right there. All you have to do is open the door and let me get on it. It ain't a big deal. And he was pounding and pounding and pounding. And while I was kind of smiling at the humor of it, In my little Murphy, demented humor way, it was sad. He finally just grabbed that microphone right next to the door. I guess he thought it went to the airplane. He's going, hello, hello? Can somebody come open the door? Hello, hello? And I want to go there and say, dude, that don't go to the airplane. That's just, we're all hearing you in here, but they're not hearing it on the plane. 
Needless to say, I've pondered that numerous, numerous times. I will guarantee every person sitting in this room today, everybody, no matter who you think you are or who you think you're, you're not, if you're here three minutes after the trumpet sounds, you would be willing to give everything you own, possess everything for that door to be opened one more time. You can pound it. You can shout and scream all you want. This is a reality message. It's a reality message. Everything the Bible has prophesied that we know of that can be proven has come to pass just like the Bible said it. I have no reason to believe that God's going to mess up concerning the future. You can discount it. You can slough it off. You can say, I've got a lot of money in the bank and I've got a lot of food stored in the house somewhere. That's fine. But there's going to be a feeling accompanying your thought process five minutes after the rapture. Don't philosophize about it. Grab them up. You need to act. And you ain't act now. It's like the young girl who was given some dollars to spend in a department store. She spent the entire day wandering from department to department, anguishing over what to buy, and there was so much that she wanted. Finally, the store closed, and she was locked out, peering in with her hands empty. She was staring at all the goodies that she wanted that she just had an opportunity to purchase. She let precious opportunities pass her by. There's an old Arab proverb that has significance for our text here today. It says, one cannot mount a camel that has not yet arrived. Neither can one mount a camel that has already departed. Jesus said the kingdom has now arrived. The implication being, it's time to act because you don't know how long it's going to be here. Believe. Act upon it. There's coming a time when your opportunity will have departed. Then it will be too late. The door will be shut. You will stand there knocking, wanting to be let in. You alone will be knocking. Opportunity knocks. But once, as the saying goes, there's a Jewish proverb that says four things. Come not back. The spoken word. The sped arrow, time passed, and a neglected opportunity. In a nursery where they grow trees and plants in London, Ontario, Canada, there's a sign in the tree sections which reads this way. The best time to plant a tree was 25 years ago. A sobering jolt that reminds one that trees do not, that they do take a long time to mature. Oak trees, as you know, they don't bear acorns until they're about 60 years old. Takes a long time. But that isn't the whole story of that sign in the Canadian tree nursery. The complete message is this. The best time to plant a tree was 25 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is... The, blessed, the second best time today that's the doctrine of the still open opportunity 
the tree could still be planted in spite of squandered opportunities of 25 years ago. Does anybody hear that? There's a moment for you. There's an opportunity for you. There's an occasion for you. It doesn't matter how many you've had in the past that you've squandered. There's still an opportunity now. The only thing you don't know is if there'll be one tomorrow or not. That's what you don't know. Everybody say amen. Jesus is telling his listeners essentially that same hopeful message. The door is still open. And as long as it is, one has an opportunity to get in. Let me remind you that Opportunity is a small word with a great meaning. Lost is a smaller word with as great a meaning. You put the two together, lost opportunity, and you have a tragedy. Opportunity, opportunity, listen folks. Opportunity is not a tangible thing, something that can be lost and found again. Once opportunity is lost, It's gone forever. Another opportunity may present itself. But what if it should not? And if it should, have we learned the lesson well enough in the school of experience to take advantage of an opportunity when it comes? I would to God I could preach this better to somebody. All of my ministerial experience, I've seen people come face to face with windows and moments of opportunity. And it passes. It passes. I can tell you of a family right now. I'm not going to call their name. But they attended Grace Church numerous times. I literally sat in their dining room kitchen at their dining room table teaching home Bible study. I remember several occasions where I would literally slide out of my chair onto my knees. And I would literally plead with these people on bended knee. I would beg them to hear what I'm saying, to listen to the Word of God. There was a horrible offense involved in in this situation. And it couldn't be undone. It couldn't be undone. And part of that was on me. But nonetheless, the Word of God still remains true. And they had that moment. They had that opportunity. I can't describe the heartbrokenness, the tragedy. The horrible things has crossed their path since that time. I'm not saying because it's because God is rude and mean and harsh. But I do know this. God saw what was coming. And He gave them an opportunity to be empowered by the power of the Holy Ghost. And they denied the opportunity. So now they've walked numerous times through the valley of the shadow of death alone. Without a God to hold their hand. Without a word of God to comfort them. I'm I'm here to preach to somebody today. Opportunity is not a tangible thing. You have it, but when it's lost, it's gone forever. I'm asking you today, don't neglect the opportunity that God's given you right now. Neglect is the most dastardly or shameful of all the enemies of mankind because of its unpretentious demeanor. It does not scowl menacingly or or brandish a, a flaming sword. Neglect wears a disarming smile. 
yet its dagger drips with the blood of far more victims than does that of open infidelity and rebellion against God. Neglect stabbed Pilate and damned his soul. The sharp blade of neglect hewed down the mighty Felix and the august or the grand majestic Agrippa. It was chief executioner in the wilderness as Moses implored the Israelites to look to the brazen serpent and live. Its vanquished lie sprawled grotesquely upon every face of history from the Egyptian Passover to the last Sunday service here at Grace Church. Neglect never won a battle. Neglect never garnered a laurel or erected a monument to fame. Neglect doesn't tempt, it doesn't plant so it can't reap. Neglect doesn't attempt so it can't gain. Neglect doesn't assail so it can't win. If Noah had waited to build the ark of safety, he would have perished himself in the flood. If Lot had hesitated to obey the angel's command to flee the gates of Sodom, he would have been consumed in the fires of destruction. If the devil can get a man to postpone salvation, if the devil can get a man to postpone doing what he knows is right, he is as sure of that man's soul as though the grave was already occupied and the judgment seat already passed. Listen to pastor this morning. I want everybody to listen. The human soul undergoes a hardening process as the years add themselves to a man. And woe to that one that awakes too late to the frightful fact that salvation's day is forever past and opportunity lies mutilated and dead in some frightful sepulcher. There was a tremendous note of urgency in the prophet's challenge. I preached to you last Sunday. Seek the Lord while he may be found. For too many... It shall become the forerunner of the faithful phrase, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, once defiant toward God and willful rejection of his terms of grace, are not essential to man's damnation. Judas didn't bring down the lash on the naked back of Jesus. A Roman soldier did that. Judas didn't plait the crown of thorns that tore an ugly gash into his regal brow. The palace guards of Pilate did that. Judas didn't nail Jesus to the cross. Other Roman soldiers did that. But the same hell that contains those whose spittle ran down the face of Jesus also contains the soul of Judas. To choose merely... To neglect the golden day of opportunity and through neglect forfeited eternal life. Opportunity, folks, is borrowed. The following story was told by a father who learned how unwise it was to neglect spending time with his son. One year ago today, the dad said, I sat at my, dad, my desk with a month's bills and overdue accounts before me when my bright-faced young boy rushed in and impetuously announced, Happy birthday, Daddy! Mom says you're 40 today, so I'm going to give you 40 kisses, one for each year. He began to make good on his word when the dad exclaimed, Oh, Andy, not now. I'm too busy. He became silent, 
And the dad said, when I looked up and I saw that his big blue eyes were filled with tears, apologetically I said to Andy, you can finish tomorrow. He made no reply, but he was unable to conceal his disappointment as he quietly walked away. That same evening I called to him, come and finish with those kisses now, Andy. Either he didn't hear me or he was no longer in the mood. But there was no response. Two months later, as a result of an accident, God took him home to heaven. His body was laid to rest in a little cemetery near a place where he loved to play. The robin's note was never sweeter than my son's voice, the dad said. And the turtle dove that cooed to its nestlings was never so gentle as a little one who left unfinished his loved, his love's imposed task. The dad went on to say, if I could tell him how much I regret those thoughtless words I spoke and how my heart is aching now because of my unkind actions. Instead, I sit here thinking, why didn't I return his love? Why did I grieve his young heart that was so full of tenderness and affection? For that dad, opportunity came and never returned. I'm bearing my soul here this morning to families, to moms and dads. You're at odds with each other over petty things. There's people here today that are at odds with me over things. I wish I could stand here and just name person after person that I know. I'll give you one final illustration. And I'll bear the name. Some of you know her. Several Sundays ago, after church, if you'll stand with me this morning. Several Sundays ago, after church, some of you know that uh, I bought a a motorcycle recently for a purpose. Thought I'd never own one again, but I have a purpose in it. A couple of Sundays, several Sundays ago, after church, I made arrangements with uh, Ashton and Hannah Meir to ride to St. Francisville after church. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Just wanted to connect with them and be with them. And on our way to St. Francisville, Sister Yvonne, we passed a mobile home. It's been there for 20-plus years. On the inside of that mobile home lived a woman named Renee. Renee used to teach Sunday school at Grace Church when it was in Baker. Drive all the way from Jackson. Never missed a service. Never missed anything. Sold out. She tried and tried to get her kids and her husband to follow suit. And um, Sister Murph and I talked about it yesterday. As a matter of fact, it's burdened me so bad. I don't know that Renee was 50 years old. We rode by by her house that Sunday, and, you know, I I thought, honest to God, (laughs) honest to God, I thought it'd be really cool just to whip up in her driveway on these motorcycles and just say, hey, Renee, how you doing, and invite her back to church, honest to God. That was my thought. We got a text message the following Monday. Renee died that night in her mobile home. You see, there was an opportunity. And I missed it. I missed it. 
I don't know if I could have done any good or not. I don't know if she would have slammed the door in my face or said, Hey, Pastor, come in. I have not seen her in years. But she's dead now. And as far as I know, she's not attended a church anywhere in years. But she used to be an awesome Sunday school teacher. An opportunity came and went for her. And an opportunity came and went for me. And I didn't do anything. I'm living with that. Living with it. I want everybody in this building to understand. You may like this message or you may not. It doesn't matter. What I have preached to you is true. Everybody in this building has an opportunity right now. But I can't promise you'll have that same opportunity tomorrow. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. I'd like for you to bow your head for a moment. If it's appropriate, take the hand of the person standing next to you or put your arm on their shoulder. Father in heaven, there's you have filled Pastor's heart with a note of sobriety for the past several weeks. We can have fun and we can enjoy life. And hopefully when this service is concluded, we'll laugh and talk and share good memories and good times. But right now, it's God moment time. It's opportunity time. God, help us today. God, I'm asking for your help today. I pray that every person in this building, if they don't seize the opportunity, will have many more in the future to seize. But from past experience, if people haven't seized it by now, the chances are they never will. God, I'm asking you today to be kind, to be merciful, to let the hand of grace and mercy reach. I'm praying for the goodness of God, that sweet, tender voice that so softly and tenderly says, Come home. All ye who are weary, come home. I'm asking you today, God, to be forbearing. Forgive us of our worldliness and our vanity. Forgive us of our lust and our desires. Forgive us, O oh God. For taking you for granted. For taking the mercy of God for granted. The grace of God. There's people here today along with myself who are only here because of your great mercy. And I pray, oh God, today in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood over this house today that you would bring everybody face to face with this staunch reality. We could go to bed at sunset tonight, a pauper, but not for the grace of God. I pray that you would talk to every mind and every heart here right now. Every man, woman, every mom and dad, every husband and wife, help us, oh God, to somehow reconcile our petty differences and to realize what real priorities are, that family is worth everything, marriage is worth everything, home is worth everything. 
And living for you is worth everything. Oh, God, the habits, the mindsets, and the perspectives, they're not worth anything in the big scheme of things. There's eternity ahead of all of us. But right now, there's an opportunity to be right when that moment comes. And I pray today that everybody would seize that moment, that would seize that opportunity. God, talk to us. God, talk to us in Jesus' name. They begin to sing softly. I'm going to ask you, mom, dad, husband, wife, child, sibling, parent. If it ain't right between you and God, you have an opportunity right now to make it right. Yes, you do. God is kind. God is just. The Bible said He's just to forgive every sin when we ask Him. Could we put the junk aside? Could we put the issues aside? Can we just put heartbreak aside and bitterness aside and grief aside just for a few moments and come before God naked, raw, and bare and say, God, here's my own human heart. Take me like I am. Because more than anything else in this world, I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God. I'm going to ask everybody to come while they're singing. Everybody come. Everybody come with an open heart, with an open mind. It's time to get over the things that plague us and bother us. This is get right with God time. For no man knows the day nor the hour, the Bible said. We're going to invite all of our guests to even come with us. Come on, everybody, come on. Today is an opportunity. Today is an opportunity.